Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. Richard Spring. One third of the way there. I've, I've been asked to reply. Mr Speaker, as the House will be aware, the Right Honourable Friend, the Prime Minister, is in Washington today for discussions with President Bush ahead of the G8 summit in June. Mr Speaker, later today, the Right Honourable Gentleman, the Member for Charmwood, and my Honourable Friend, the Member for Glasgow Central, and I will be meeting members of the Madeleine McCann family at their request. I'm sure that the thoughts of the whole House will be the, with them at this terrible time. Yeah. Richard Spring. Uh, Mr. Speaker, may I endorse the sentiments about the tragic situation in Portugal, which has just been expressed by the Deputy Prime Minister. But may I quote to the Right Honourable Gentleman two statements. Firstly, one from the Chancellor of the Exchequer and future Prime Minister, and I quote, I think if we look back over the last ten years, what happened over the Dome was a mistake. But, secondly, from the Deputy Prime Minister himself, if we can't make this work, we're not much of a government. Who was right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it was another terrible Tory mess that we inherited when we But I was... But I, but I was supportive of the strategic necessity of which we built the Jubilee Line under the previous administration. Under the previous administration was the right decision and that poisonous bit of land to which we paid £350 million to bring it back into use in the middle of the London area was absolutely right. The dome, the dome itself, the set targets before we arrived, that 12 million people would attend. I disputed that at the time, but 7 million did attend. 98% thought it was a good exhibition. I think they were right, and I'm not apologising for that. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, does my right honourable friend recall that on Friday the 2nd of March over 100 Labour MPs were here in the House to make sure that the Temporary and Agency Workers Bill was heard here? As of today on Early Day Motion 1299, 120 colleagues have signed up to urge progress on to get measures to end discrimination, unfair discrimination against agency workers. In his last remaining weeks in office, will my right honourable friend look at this, try and get some progress on what was a promise at, the, at Warwick before the last election and continue his decades-long fight for ordinary working people and hard-working families. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mr Speaker, may I begin by echoing what the Deputy Prime Minister has said about Madeleine McCann and her family and their terrible worries at this time and in all parts of this House and throughout the nation, people will be praying for the safe return of this little girl. Uh, may I also say that since the Deputy Prime Minister announced his resignation and he's just been told on his own side that he will be missed, he can be sure that on our side he'll be even more missed. Um, and, but, but may I say quite seriously that although we have disagreed with so many of his policies and exchanged many harsh words. He has served so far 37 years in this House and 10 years as Deputy Prime Minister, and by any standards that counts as an achievement. And we wish him well in his future uh, retirement. 
However, uh, <laughs> he is still the Deputy Prime Minister. And the Chancellor of the Exchequer says that the government should admit mistakes, although the one he'd put at the top of the list, the Deputy Prime Minister has just disagreed with. But in the spirit of admitting mistakes, does he agree that the junior doctor recruitment process is by the standards of, has been by the standards of any government, a truly shocking piece of incompetence? It's so nice after 37 years to know that I will be missed. But I'm not leaving the house yet. And I will still play my part. I won't be whinging on the back benches that I hear some of my colleagues do from time to time. be supporting this government that has done a wonderful job in the last ten years. And I have to say to him, I noticed he wasn't in the first session. Is that his fee to be in the first session was too expensive for this one? <laughs> or is the charging for Tory overtime rate at your speaking rates is too much money? Look, make no mistake about it, the, hon the question the Honourable Man has asked me, the po the, uh, uh, po the the Secretary, of State, the Secretary of State has apologised for the difficulties in the technology and the delivering of that system. I understand that she's also to make a statement after the Prime Minister's questions, and I think that's best left for them. But whilst he's on mistakes, I just ask him to point out what this government's done in its period of office compared to what they did in theirs. You gave us boom and bust, and we gave an economy of economic growth. You put three million, he, 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 <laughs> Mr. Speaker, <laughs> oh, I'll do it again. He gave the country boom and bust, and we delivered sustained economic growth that we haven't seen for decades. He put three million on the dole, we put two and a half million people back to work. And he, the most scandalous statement of all, doubled the number of pensioners in poverty and we lifted a million out of poverty. I'll swap mistakes with him and record and you'll hear more and more of it, whether I'm Deputy Prime Minister or not. Though, can I say, I'm the longest serving Deputy Prime Minister. I've seen off five of the Tory main spoke, four of the Liberal ones, and I'm still here. The question was about junior doctors, actually. Uh, and um, we're very sorry to hear he's not going to be whinging from the backbenches because we were hoping that he would be, and he may be tempted to do that in the coming years. But the question was about junior doctors. And a year and a half ago, the government knew that unprecedented numbers of doctors would require training posts on the 1st of August. And now there are 11 weeks to go. There are thousands of junior doctors with no training posts or who have no idea where in the country their jobs will be or indeed which country, in which country their jobs uh, will be. If the government is going to start admitting mistakes, shouldn't it also start holding ministers to account? And given his long experience, which we have just celebrated, sitting at the cabinet table, who does the Deputy Prime Minister think is to be held responsible for the junior doctor's fiasco? Mm. Tories. Because what 
Yes, even wicked Tories when you look at the record. You know, since 1997, and I've said to the Honourable Member, the Secretary of State is coming to the House to answer this later, and that would be the appropriate time to have a... And indeed, as I understand it, it's an urgent question that's been put down. I don't know whether the right Honourable Member did it, but it has gone down and we'll answer it. But I'll tell you where the fault lay. Medical students, we had to increase them when we came in. 72%. 13,300 more student doctors brought in by this government. And the Honourable Member there, the spokesman, knows this to be true. We doubled the investment in junior doctor training and their doctor's pay went up 70 pay, 70 increase, 17% increase in the pay. That's not a bad record. That's the difference between us in government and them in in government. Mr Speaker, it is a bad record when large amounts of the money spent is being spent for junior doctors then to have to go to jobs in Australia and Canada because training posts are not available here in this country. And it's no good blaming everyone else for this. Two-thirds of GPs now think general practice has got worse in the last decade. Ninety-five percent of consultants say the government's performance on all of this has been miserable. But the Chancellor is keen that the government admits mistakes Isn't another of those mistakes the looming fiasco over home information packs? And given that the Chancellor wants to strengthen Parliament and to strengthen home ownership, is he going to be here in Parliament this afternoon to vote with us against home information packs that will damage home ownership? Again, the home information packs is a typical example of the hypocrisy of the opposition. On the one hand, they say, vote blue, get green, I think was the slogan they gave. But as soon as an opportunity comes to vote for something that is energy conservation, whether it's this pact or the climate change levy, they always vote against. And that's the difference of rhetoric versus substance. And while I'm on the rhetoric versus substance, dealing with the point of the doctors, I think in the health service it's interesting to note the Health Fair Care Commission survey out today showed that 90% of patients said the NHS care was excellent, very good and good. The 115,000 more nurses in the health service, the waiting lists are down, more operations and a massive investment in the health service. Under the Tories, the waiting went up, the beds were cut and the hospital building programme ground to a halt. Don't tell me about your record. It also showed that mixed-sex wards are still prevalent in large numbers of hospitals and trusts, so don't tell us about your record, about his record, uh, Mr. Uh, Speaker. Uh, But is it not on the subject on which we're now on? The Chancellor, who has now cut grants for low-carbon buildings programmes for solar power. I know the Chancellor always likes to disappear when there is trouble, but where is he today when the home information packs uh, are being debated? He's never around when there's bad news, although making himself invisible when he launched his leadership campaign was taking things to extremes. Uh, But he says he wants to see more humility in government. Given that home information packs are opposed by almost everyone who has an interest in the stability of the housing market, why doesn't he listen to those people? I think if he looks at the, uh, the actual record of the home information packs, he will find that the, cons- the consumer groups were supporting it fully when I first introduced it when we came in. They made the point that they wanted to actually make sure that you switch the costs from the 
buyers to the sellers, costs that are already you have to pay, and many of them are complaining bitterly, they enter into an arrangement to purchase a house before a contract is, uh, has, has been brought together, and you find then that they lose thousands of pounds in paying for something and no claim against them. I can tell you, and if he wants the record of the information, I'll give him. It doesn't happen in Scotland, because Scotland had the courage to make the change. We have faced vested interest groups here that have constantly opposed to improving the lot of people selling houses. But at the end of the day, there'll be a debate. At the end of the day, there's no doubt the energy part of this is improved and one that is welcome, except they are going to vote against it. Again, it's another classic example of the difference between the rhetoric of what they say on environment and what they actually do in here. Mr. Speaker, home information packs are not going to deal with the point that he has just raised. And on Scotland, he is going to need the votes of Scottish MPs to force this through here in England. The, so the Chancellor talks about admitting mistakes, but no one is held to account on junior doctors, talks about boosting home ownership, yet home information packs go through, talks about humility, but refuses to listen to even the Consumers Association. Doesn't that show the Chancellor can't be the change this country needs? And if a new Cabinet is going to have the same attitude as the old collapsing Cabinet, shouldn't we have a general election and let the people decide? I thought the Right Honourable Member had been a bit careful calling for general elections. I remember him doing that and getting horribly beaten, one of the worst results of any Tory party. So in those circumstances, he shouldn't tell us that. And I would say that this Chancellor, frankly, has been responsible for an awful lot of the policy carried out by this Government. And, and, it, has, and it has resulted in a record period of office when in three elections, despite all the calls for general elections that we get at that time. But he points out the difficulties of difference in views. Can I just ask him, since I've just seen it today, <laughs> well, just to make a point, Mr. Speaker, just, 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 just to make a point. I notice the leaders away today and there's been a change of policy on grammar schools. Something that he promised when he was the leader that there would be one in every town. Now, I don't know how popular this U-turn is within his own party. You know, order, order. There's always some leeway given, especially when it's a Thank you, Mr. Speaker. But I don't know how popular this is in his party. Could I ask all those members of the opposition who support this, can you put your hand up whether you support getting rid of the oh, oh, Even the Deputy Prime, uh, Deputy Prime Minister has gone a bit too far. <laughs> and the Red Honourable Gentleman finished. Natasha Engels. We recently celebrated the one millionth child being helped by Sure Start. Can my right honourable friend reassure me that the, that the many, many parents and children in North East Derbyshire who've been helped by this fantastic service can be reassured that it will be safeguarded for the future? I think everybody agrees now that the Sure Start service has been a very successful service. It now covers almost one million children have benefited it from that, and we have set an on course for the 3,000 sure starts to be achieved in the next few years. 
that has been a real improvement and one that we are quite, uh, quite proud of. The next stage of the finances, of course, is very much caught with the comprehensive spending review that is underway at the moment, but there have been assurances that it is a programme that we have committed ourselves to and will be, I am sure, followed through in those uh, spending commitments. Sir Vincent Keeble. Can, uh, can I add my colleague's support for the McCann family? At the Labour Party conference last year, uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer said, and I quote, David Miliband, John Prescott and I will publish proposals this autumn, that was last year, uh, for the creation of 100,000 new environmental jobs. Where are they? <laughs> there is a considerable amount of advantages in the jobs. The plans are underway to achieve that. Anybody, anybody looking at the low-carbon development of new houses, the environmental investment that's coming along, will be a major investment in creating jobs and changing the whole economy. Then I say to the Honourable Member, anybody who's looked at the commitments to the 60% of emissions target that we've set ourselves will require many of our regions to make quite considerable changes in the economy and the development of our regions. That will bring it the new type of investments and a tremendous, tremendous amount of jobs. And I think we're on the way to do that. In my speech at the John Smith lecture last night, was primarily to make precisely that point. We are on a major change. It is coming about because of climate change. And along with it, with any kind of industrial revolution, comes the jobs. Vincent Cable's answer to the specific question was that this was an attempt to imitate the undoubted talent of the Conservative leader for making environmentally friendly but empty uh, sound bites. But can I refer to another one this week, which is the proposal for eco-new towns. Why does it make sense to provide tax breaks for developers to build on greenbelt land when 25 million householders who want to improve energy efficiency and the quality and quantity of housing have to pay full value added tax rate. There's no doubt that the Honourable Member makes an uh, important point. But I must say to him, it's not the building on green belt. In fact, if you look at the actual record of this government to gain in the 10 years from 1997, we have transferred a lot of the building of the houses onto brownfield sites. It was 50-odd percent under the Tories at the time when they left. It is now 72 percent. That is a considerable change. And for the developing of new towns, undoubtedly, the work that we're doing in the Sustainable Commission, working with the Chinese, is how do you make a change to our cities? How do we move away from motorway cities, as we saw develop with actually Birmingham and Leeds, move to new types of cities, new types of sustainable growth? That is the challenge for us, and that's what we're working hard on at the present time. I'll send him a copy of the uh, lecture I gave last night, which is precisely about these points. But I take this as perhaps Liam, I take this move on environment, as it is in the opposition, as probably uh, an example of making a bid for leadership. I noticed today in the Times they found that half the Lib Dems voters want a new leader. Perhaps the time has come to pass this heavy mantle of leadership onto a younger man. Indeed, the right honourable general might, gentleman might bring true youth and vitality to the role. By the way, I congratulate him on reaching 64 last week. Stephen Doral. Mr Speaker, may I thank the Deputy Prime Minister for his expressions of sympathy and support uh, for the family of my constituents, Kate and Jerry McCann, uh, in Portugal now. 
Does the Deputy Prime Minister agree with me that what has happened to the McCann family is every parent's worst nightmare? And will the Deputy Prime Minister join with me in expressing the thanks of the House and of this country for the support of both the authorities and the people of Portugal in their efforts to find Madeleine and express the hope that their efforts will be rewarded by success as quickly as possible? I think the whole House will agree with every word that has been expressed by the Right Honourable Member. It is indeed every parent's nightmare, and like everyone in the country, we hope and pray for the safe return of Madeleine. We are doing everything we can to support them in Portugal. The Foreign Office has been actively involved, the Leicester Police are involved, and we're doing what we possibly can to assist the parents in this most difficult situation. The investigation, of course, is the responsibility of the um, Portuguese police, but our people are assisting in helping where they feel that is necessary. I can only say, basically, that I um, will be meeting the relatives with himself and the Honourable Member for uh, Glasgow Central after at about 1.15, and I will express what I know is the full feeling of this House in these difficult circumstances. Andrew Miller. My right honourable friend, uh, when he visited uh, Ellesmere Port uh, last year, saw some wonderful new school developments built under this government. He also visited the West Cheshire College on the site of uh, his own secondary school. Uh, my right honourable friend will be interested to know that the, the, the colleges to further expand, to further increase the opportunities of young people in my constituency, will he in, will he in the last few weeks of his uh, office ensure that he does all that he can to promote the development of this next phase of the college and to ensure that the architecture is of the kind of standards that we have come to expect? <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else want to give another answer? Um, We have had a huge investment in our education system. Nobody doubts that. There's argued sometimes about the value of the money, but I think an announcement that's just been made uh, in the last two days of the new schools that have been built in every one of our constituencies, not, nowhere in this house can they say they've not had a new school, but in reality we have built more new schools in the last five years than the last 25 years. That is another example, and I'll be delighted to see the extra investment going to the uh, Grange, as I used to know it, the adult education, the secondary modern school that I went to in Ellesmere Port, clearly evident, some of you will think, but I would like to say that at that school at that time there was an awful lot of people actually dependent on free school meals. The innocent announcement of grammar schools now and the concern of free school meals, I wonder whether if there's a low proportion of school meals, this will now be a threat to the Eton establishment. Lord Francois, thank you, Mr. Speaker. On the topic of rhetoric versus reality, the Chancellor recently re-announced plans to build up to 200,000 zero-carbon homes in Britain by 2016. But in yesterday's Finance Bill Committee, his great guru, the Economic Secretary, when pressed on exactly how many such homes have been built under Labour to date, replied that the figure was none. Ah. Is that admission actually correct, 
or was it really just a load of old, uh, well, Ed? <laughs> there have been a number of houses that have been built to low carbon specification. We, in fact, changed the rules about governing the building regulations. There were nine millennium sites, starting with Greenwich on the Dome, where we built houses there to the low carbon standards, new environmental standards, and we have built a number of thousands of them already. The Chancellor was referring to the importance of building a lot more to meet the needs of affordable homes, and I fully support it. David Kidney. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, this morning, UNICEF Ambassador Jemima Khan joins me in Westminster Hall to, to, launch, to, launch, to launch the Breastfeeding Manifesto. Will my right honourable friend acknowledge that breastfeeding brings tremendous health benefits for mothers and babies, helps tackle health inequalities and can even save the NHS money, and yet breastfeeding rates in the UK are lower than many other countries. Will he give his personal support to the manifesto, which seeks to make our society more tolerant of and more supportive of breastfeeding? Absolutely. <laughs> Simon Hughes. Given that, given that between, official figures show that between 2000, uh, 1997 and 2006, completions of council homes across the UK have dropped from over 1,500 to under 250, and completions of other social housing have dropped from over 28,000 to under 25,000, will the Deputy Prime Minister apologise yeah, for the appalling yeah. record of 10 years' lack of provision of social housing yeah, 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 and yeah. promise that under his successors, things can only get better. Yeah. I must tell the Honourable Member, as I have done from time to time, that we did in 1997 make a decision that there was £20 billion worth of disinvestment in our public housing, simply because the Tories, when in government, had decided selling houses but not doing anything about the houses that were left for millions of tenants. We brought in a programme of £40 billion for two million houses to be brought up to standards in kitchens and central heating, like the little old lady who said to me in London, I'm delighted to get central heating, I can now invite my kids to come without worrying of getting a cold. There is a difference to actually millions of people who have benefited from that. Secondly, he's not taking fully account of the social housing provisions that went on the housing association programmes. We are involved in that, but it's well, but at the same time where the difficulty comes, more and more demands have come from single parents. There is undoubtedly, as the uh, ministers have been saying, a great need to put greater priority to it. And that's what the Chancellor has been saying in his speeches and I'm no doubt will carry it out. In Lucas. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Schools without books, let alone computers. That's the reality for children in Lesotho in Southern Africa who are linking with schools in Wrexham in North Wales so that children in Wales can get a real perspective of how lucky they are. Will my honourable friend commend the Global Schools Partnership, which the government invested in heavily last year, and tell us how many schools are involved in this excellent project? And will he also encourage all members to advance the cause of the partnerships in their own constituencies? Yeah. 
I very much uh, agree with everything the Honourable Member said. I can't tell him exactly how many schools involved, um, but I will write to him about that. And I'm sorry I can't tell him that. But the British Council also has been conducting a similar programme, which is called Connecting Classrooms. And when I was in Ghana and Sierra Leone only a few weeks ago, there we saw the importance of schools twinning with those in the United Kingdom, in Ghana. And indeed, I think that is a benefit to the children. It is our intention, of course, to use this programme, and it may be of the interest to the House to know, and I know you, Mr Speaker, are aware of it, that we are bringing children from Ghana, from Sierra Leone, and indeed from the West Indies, along with people who are coming from the uh, UK schools, there will be a debate held in the Westminster Chamber to discuss slavery and modern-day trafficking. That is an example of the connection between the schools that are beneficial. And I'm delighted to see that I've been involved in a programme of uniting some of those schools with various countries from my own constituency, and I'm sure other people do. I must say, when I did have to ask questions... Thank you, Mr Speaker. Two weeks ago, his right honourable friend, the member for Ashfield, in an article in The Guardian, explained when he was Defence Secretary, one of the failures of the government in 2003 was to sufficiently influence the American administration, in particular with regard to the disbandment of the Iraqi army and the Iraqi uh, administration. He said one of the failures was to fail to notice the influence of Vice President Dick Cheney. Since he marks Dick Cheney in the American administration, what explanation does he have for that and its catastrophic consequences? I didn't particularly mark him. I met him once or twice, I think. On the first occasion, I met him by a video screen because of the terrible 9-11 business that he was in a cave somewhere uh, under security control. Um, So I I recall the meeting... (laughs) I did pass the comment that I didn't think Bin Laden would have been under the same conditions, but leaving that aside, let me just say, my honourable friend that has made that point, it is his point of view. Uh, I don't know how correct it is. I won't go on to make comments of what I heard it or not in the Cabinet, but I've already made clear to the House I'm not joining that brigade. Order. Guardian Unlimited.